make sure you take the right door on your way down. There's no telling where you might end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. I'll see you soon. <laughs>Welcome back, fiends. I hope you were enjoying yourselves in this most suspicious season. We do hope our ghoulishly horrific tales, curated just for your sensitive ear holes, are bringing you much terror. <laughs> we have now reached the halfway point of our delectable tales, but that's not to say that it is close to the end. Our three remaining tales are guaranteed to have your blood run cold and your hand reaching for that nightlight to get you through to the night's end. <laughs> now, with that being said, I think it's time to introduce our next tale. Sit back and grip the chair tight. Today's tale is titled, Not This Year, and was written by our friend Hunter Chansky. My son disappeared a year ago. But yesterday, he came back. With him came a relief from my writer's block. I can finally share our story. The last day I hugged him did not feel like the last. Dad? By the way his voice echoed, my six-year-old stood at the bottom of the staircase. Dad. Marty, I said sternly, taking my headphones off and craning my neck towards the office door. How many times have I told you? Inside voices when we're inside. If you need me, all you have to do is walk your butt upstairs and knock on my door, sweetheart. I heard the squeaking of his palms on the handrail, the... Vrt, vrt sound of his socks sliding on the steps carpet. I still have this image in my mind of him chasing his head up the staircase like a drunken sailor sulking because he had to make the dreaded trip upstairs. Dad? Yes, Marty. I took my writing glasses off and set them on top of the Chromebook's keyboard. His green eyes fell to the floor, seemingly searching the jungle of beige carpet at his feet. He wrung his hands together, mirroring mine almost perfectly, and dug his big toe into the carpet, as most kids do, working up the courage to ask the big question. Yes, Marty? I couldn't help but smile. He made a quarter turn towards me, like he was doing his best supermodel impersonation. When can we go trick-or-treating? Well... I glanced at the white digits in the lower right-hand corner of the Google document on my desk. The time was 3.30 p.m. It's a little early yet, honey. Marty's face scrunched inwards with disappointment. Tell you what. I perched my elbows on my knees and leaned towards him, waving him into my arms. 
He scooted across the carpet and stood between my feet, leaning into my knee. How about you go into my bedroom closet and take your new ghost costume out of its packaging? Really? His eyes looked like emerald stones, and his smile was so big, I thought it might stretch past his ears. Uh-huh. And once you take it out, why don't you put it on and show me how scary you are? Okay. I want you to take this seriously, Marty. I looked at my Chromebook, then back at him, thumbing toward my desk. Because this story I'm working on isn't very scary. I think what it's missing is a ghost. A really scary one. Do you think you could help me out with that? His smile shrunk just short of a pucker as he held my gaze, nodding very solemnly. I'll be the scariest goddamn ghost you ever saw. His mouth stayed in an O shape as the last word lingered. Mm, maybe not that scary. Apparently, Marty was a perfect mirror of my vocabulary as well. And we can't say that word, honey. Ghost? Goddamn. But you say it whenever the goddamn Packers are playing. Can't argue with that. Go put on your ghost costume. I tried to stifle a smile and failed miserably as he turned and sprinted out of my office. I spun back towards my computer, put on my glasses, and started working again. Before I could put my headphones back on, lightning whipped across my office window, a whitish-blue arc against a bruised skin sky. Holy shit! A roar of thunder interrupted me, shaking the house. A storm was coming. I heard my phone ringing downstairs. I ran down the stairs two steps at a time and slid across the kitchen linoleum, making it just before it went to voicemail. Hello. John? It was my good buddy, Alex. Why do you always ask if it's me answering my own phone? It's not that I'm asking if it's you. I'm more or less asking if you're all right. You're always out of breath whenever you answer my calls. Isn't that something you famous writers call, uh, subtext? First of all, I gave the kitchen a quick glance, then walked around the corner. The coast was clear. First of all, fuck you. Second of all, the reason I always sound out of breath is because us writers keep our phones as far away from us as possible when we're working. Something you non-writers ought to try from time to time. How's that for subtext? Yeah, yeah. Listen, you seen the forecast for tonight? No need. Just before you called, a thunderbolt scared the shit. I swung a look over my shoulder. Scared the shit out of me. It felt like Zeus himself was shaking our house like an unopened Christmas present. I'm watching the Weather Channel right now, and it looks like it's only going to get worse. A lot worse. Alex sighed. Marie doesn't want me taking Gabe out tonight. You're not going trick-or-treating? Really? She said it's too dangerous. Dangerous? <laughs> I pinched the space between my eyes, shaking my head. <sighs> Marty's going to be so disappointed. He's putting on his costume as we speak. Ah, uh, don't leave me hanging on this one, man. Come on, John, don't guilt trip me. Happy wife, happy life, you know that. There was a pause. 
All I could hear was the phone rubbing against Alex's five o'clock shadow and a sharp smack, which I could only assume was the heel of his hand hitting his forehead. I'm so sorry, John. It just slipped out. Damn figure speech is all. I meant nothing by it. That's all right. I looked at the refrigerator. Above the water dispenser was our most recent family photo. Melissa was wearing mom jeans, you know the kind, high-waisted, light blue denim that turned her butt into a teardrop. A white blouse to top it off made her, as the song goes, simply irresistible. Marty and I had Wranglers on and Latigre polos, mine white, his black. The words around the magnetized frame read, Perhaps they are not stars in the sky, but rather openings where our loved ones shine down to let us know they are happy. <laughs> More peanut butter cups for Marty and me. <laughs> I forced myself to laugh. Hey, here's an idea. For a moment, I thought I could actually hear Alex taking his foot out of his mouth. Why don't you and Marty come over? Marie and I will hide our candy all over the joint and we can cut Gabe and Marty loose. Like a Halloween Easter type deal. A shrill sound ricocheted down the staircase. Uh, hold on a second, Al. I covered the phone. Is that Marty I hear? No, the voice said. Something much. I could just picture him racking his brain for the right word. Something much scarier. Ooh. A lance of lightning streaked across the kitchen window and thunder immediately followed. Impeccable timing, I thought. Then I took my hand away from the phone. I can't say no to him now, Al. Marty's palm squeaked on the handrail as he made his way downstairs. I whispered into the phone. It's only been a few months since Marty lost his mom, and this is far and away his favorite day of the year, save his birthday. He needs this. You're right. Just promise me you'll be careful, you hear? Halloween is notorious for kids getting hit by vehicles. Couple that with the inclement weather and... Jesus, Alex! I'm just saying. I don't know what I'd do if I lost you. What time are you going at? 5.30. Sharp. At the end of the hallway in front of me, I saw what looked like a white sheet hop from the bottom of the staircase to the living room. I'll call you back when I get in tonight. I'd appreciate it. I hung up and placed my phone gently on the countertop, then walked cat-soft towards the living room. I could hear Marty breathing heavily. As we closed in on each other, a sheet of rain blanketed the sliding glass door adjacent to the kitchen table, and thunder rumbled, causing the lights to flicker for a moment. <laughs> this scene is playing out better than most horror movies. I cupped a hand near my mouth. Marty! He giggled, <laughs> then spoke in his very serious, scary voice. No Marty here. Only a ghost. Ooh. Oh, well, that's too bad, I said, taking one step closer to the living room. Last time I checked, ghosts can't eat anything. I guess I'll just have to eat all those peanut butter cups myself tonight. Boo. 
Marty leaped in front of me. I, I cartwheeled my arms as I fell backwards in slow motion. Whoa! My eyes wide and mouth hanging open. He hopped on top of me as I laid on my back on the kitchen floor. A flash of lightning blasted through the window, scaring the daylights out of both of us. Marty unconsciously wrapped his arms around me, and we laughed like thieves. <laughs> After barely escaping with my life, I turned on Cartoon Network for Marty in the living room. Dragon Ball Z reruns, of course, so I could get some work done before we braved the weather. How many shows, Dad? Marty asked, still in full ghost attire on the couch. Six-year-olds measure time in episodes of their favorite TV show. I held up two fingers and kissed his forehead, then made my way upstairs. When I sat back down in front of my Chromebook, I noticed something typed in what had previously been empty space, something I didn't remember typing. Not. This. Year. What the hell? I drummed the backspace button and less than a second later, it was gone. Lightning flashed outside my window, and the rain slapped against it. A gray thunderhead protruded from the horizon-spanning clouds, pointing at me like an accusatory finger. Then the thunder came. When it did, its rumble drove one of Marty's Hot Wheel cars off my desk, meeting its demise in the trash bin. Lightning couldn't have struck me better. Melissa took the car out in a wicked spring storm the night she... At first, I shook the thought away. Then I remembered what I said to her right before she left. Don't you go dying on me. I was quoting our favorite movie, Dumb and Dumber. She laughed her beautiful <laughs> laugh, then kissed me on the cheek and held my gaze with her stunning amber-colored eyes. Not this year. I felt my Adam's apple bounce slowly like an underinflated basketball. There's no way. I dug my nails into the armrest of my chair. My skin became pocked with sweat. For a moment, I was actually scared. Irrational, yes, like sharks in a swimming pool irrational. You see, I'm what many call a pantser. I'm the breed of writer who doesn't outline. Never have, never will. I just sit down and let the story unfold at the end of my fingertips. I find that's the easiest way for me to get into a flow state and see through the page. On rare occasions, however, I lose myself enough to the point where I don't even know what I'm typing and words magically appear on the manuscript. I obviously had a moment, that's all. Unconsciously processing the minutes leading up to my wife's death, I thought that was the only reasonable explanation for not this year to be waiting for me on the page. I had typed it, of course. But what if I hadn't? What if I hadn't? Right foot first, Dad? Marty sat on the second-to-last step on the staircase, his right foot jutting out at me, toes wiggling underneath the sock. Right foot first, I echoed gently guiding his foot into one red rain boot, then the other. Where's your candy bucket? 
going to be hard to eat peanut butter cups if we don't have any place to put them. Marty wriggled his hands from under the white sheet and pressed them against his ghostly cheeks in a soundless scream. He pushed himself away from the stairs and galloped down the hall towards the kitchen. While he was occupied, I fished an umbrella out of the hallway closet. Found it. The plastic bucket slid off the counter, and Marty came running. It was next to the coffee maker. Coffee isn't candy, Dad. You're right. I have no idea what I was thinking. When I went to open the door, it didn't budge. I checked the bolt. It was unlocked. What's wrong, Dad? Marty patiently swung his jack-o'-lantern bucket. Rain must have swelled the door a tad. Put your purse down and pull it like a man, I could hear Melissa saying. I gave it a swift tug. It screeched as I opened it. No, it screamed. Definitely swelled from the rain, I said in an attempt to comfort myself. But something deep down told me I had no right to be comfortable. Not this year, at least. The rain wasn't soft, and the thunder wasn't quiet. But it was more than manageable. As long as Marty was attached at my leg, which he was, then he'd stay completely dry, and we'd have ourselves a good old time. Well, lead the way, Marty, I said as we approached the end of our driveway. Left or right? Marty pistoned his hand in front of my thighs, nearly clipping the family jewels. Left it is, I said, as we started down Lipak Lane. Where are all the other kids, Dad? Marty hopped over the smaller puddles forming on the sidewalk. I swung my wrist near my face. It was 5.30 p.m., right on the money. Well, I said over the pitter-patter of the rain on the umbrella. There weren't any goblins, ghouls, or vampires, and their parents were nowhere to be found. Just a constant haze. Misty and fog-like, hung a few feet off the ground, about Marty's height. Maybe they're just not out yet, honey. Marty giggled as if he couldn't believe it, swinging his jack-o'-lantern bucket emphatically. Don't they know it's Halloween? I bent down to Marty's level and grabbed a handful of the haze. It was damp and smelt like a dead river. Maybe we just can't see them. Marty mirrored me, taking a swipe. His hand left a gaping wound in it. He giggled as it slowly congealed, healing itself. Or just maybe... I switched the umbrella to my outside hand and made a creepy crawly motion on Marty's shoulder with the other. Maybe something in the haze gobbled them up. I wish I hadn't said that. Like a ghost? Marty shrieked, jumping up and down, miniature pools splashing under his red rain boots. Someone like me! Woohoo! A porch light on our left peered through the haze like a mystic circle. Here we go, pal. Any house you see with a porch light on means they're open for business. Does that mean they have candy? Marty asked innocently. That's exactly what it means. I said, as we stopped in front of their driveway. You ready? First one. Marty's ghostly noggin nodded. We made the short walk up to the olive green split level and came upon every six-year-old's dream. A chest full of candy. 
Marty gasped, then began convulsing. If I hadn't known any better, I might have actually thought he had ants in his pants. His interpretive dance was short-lived, however. Directly above the candy chest was every six-year-old's worst nightmare. A sign that read, Please take one. Just one? Marty's head drooped like a flower in a dry spell. Uh, why don't you take two, bud? His green eyes leered at me through the eye holes in his costume like we had suddenly become outlaws. I nodded. You can have mine. He snatched two peanut butter cups faster than you could say Reese's and dropped them into his bucket. When we turned around and started down the porch steps, there was an old blue colonial with a porch light on directly across from where we were standing. The only thing between us and it was Lipak Lane. After I guided Marty down the steps, I looked up and saw Melissa standing in the middle of the road. Or at least a version of her. But it was definitely my wife. I've never been more sure about something in my entire life. I didn't hear Marty in the moment. Way after the fact. His voice was like a dream that percolates in the mind's eye minutes after waking up. I had gone completely stiff, like my legs were made of wood. Marty's little hand unhooked from mine and he ran down the driveway, putting on speed toward the road. The steady rain and constant thick haze gave my wife, or this apparition of her, its shape. A mixture of liquid helixes and lazy tendrils of mist as she kneeled down in the middle of the road with her arms held out for Marty. Melissa was saying something. I couldn't hear her, but I was able to read her hazy lips. Burn it down. Set us free. Then she looked back toward Marty. When she did, her gaseous body turned yellow as headlights landed on her. I snapped out of my daze. A black Tahoe was coming down Lipak Lane, showing no signs of slowing down. The oncoming circles of light pinned Marty as if he were an actor on stage. Marty! The umbrella whirled behind me as I sprinted toward the road. He ran into my wife, and she wrapped her arms around him just before the... I forced my eyes shut, expecting a horrific thud. But hearing only the wet rooster tail of rainwater from the Tahoe's tires as it kept going, as, as if the driver hadn't just struck my son, as if my son wasn't even there. And as I stood where he was less than five seconds before, that was exactly the case. No blood. No costume. No Marty. And no Melissa. They were just... gone. Marty! I shouted, swinging left and saying the Tahoe's license plate out loud. A-N-S-738. As I recall these events now, I remember thinking how familiar the vehicle looked, but I didn't give it a moment's thought for obvious reasons. Instead, I dropped to all fours. Nothing. Not even little rain boot treads on the slick pavement. Then, I heard what sounded like a rolling stone behind me. It was Marty's jack-o'-lantern bucket, its pumpkin face smiling directly at me. I made the short sprint back home, slammed the door shut and slid down it, sobbing 
tossing Marty's jack-o'-lantern bucket on the couch. I called the police, then Alex. Well, that was quick. You two must have killed him. Alex! I shouted into the phone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down, pal. What's going on? <laughs> it's Marty. Marty got ran over by a truck. Alex asked stupidly. He's gone, Alex. Like, he just vanished. My son is gone. Did you call the police? I heard a door shut, followed by rain. Did you call the police, bud? Yes, of, of course I did. Help me find my son. Okay, okay, I'll beat him to you. Don't do anything you hear. I made a weeping sound of agreement. Then the phone slipped out of my hand, just like Marty did. Less than five minutes later, the door swung open, and Alex stumbled inside. For a moment, he just stood there watching me. I sat on the couch holding Marty's jack-o'-lantern bucket on either side of its pumpkin smile, tears streaming down the bridge of my nose. John? Alex was still motionless. I'm here, John. You were right. I was seeing double as my eyes refilled with water after each blink. It was too dangerous. We should have... No, no. I should have. I should have driven us over to your house instead. Better yet, I shouldn't have done anything at all. Alex's boots squelched on the carpet as he moved to sit beside me. What happened, John? I told him about the haze, seeing Melissa, Marty, disappearing with the Tahoe. He ran a jittering hand through his auburn-colored hair and wore an expression that suggested he was trying to solve a difficult math problem. He cocked his head and took a deep breath. You don't... You don't believe me, do you? I stuttered. I believe it's a damn good thing I heard it before the- Two squad cars pulled into my driveway. Crazy red circles swung across my living room through the window. Alex grabbed my thigh, squeezing my leg and whispered, You tell them what you told me and they'll throw your ass in the slammer. You give them the license plate number and deflect any attention off you. We don't want to give those pigs any reason to think you're a suspect even though they probably will anyway. Three knocks came at the door. Brown County Sheriff's Department. Alex motioned to stand. I patted his shoulder, stood up, and made my way to the front door. Thank you for coming, officers. I said through wet eyes and a sniffly nose. Two officers stood on my welcome mat. One was portly with a goatee, the other a tall drink of water. The heavier one tipped his cap. I'm Sheriff Jasper. He thumbed behind him. This is Deputy Clark. The deputy mimed the sheriff's cap tip almost perfectly. May we come in? I made a welcoming gesture with my arm and the two cops sat on the loveseat across from the couch, walking by Alex as if he wasn't even there. The sheriff produced a recorder and pressed the red button. For the record, he said then nudged the deputy who fished a yellow notepad from his breast pocket and clicked a blue pen. 
Would you mind walking us through what happened tonight, Mr. Smith? Of course, I didn't tell them about my wife being a ghost or my son seemingly disappearing in her arms. I was shaken, not stupid. After giving them the Reader's Digest version, including the license plate of the Black Tahoe that sped by, both officers swung a look at each other. Well, I'm very sorry to hear about all this. The sheriff readjusted his cap and opened his mouth to speak again, but the deputy cut him off. They say children are twice as likely to be struck by vehicles on Halloween. Couple that with the weather tonight. Got a recipe for disaster. The sheriff turned his head slowly to the deputy, glaring at him and shaking his head. Fine police work, son. Just brilliant. He tapped the deputy's notepad. Why don't you just keep your head down and mouth shut? Then the sheriff turned to me and apologized again. Sorry about that. You sure on that license plate number? My palms felt slick all of a sudden, and I wiped them on my jeans. The truck was moving fast, don't get me wrong, but I freeze-framed those six digits in my mind's eye. Why? Well, the sheriff looked absently at the deputy, then to me, wringing his hands together. I'm not sure how else to say this, so I'll just come right out with it. Their license plate number, the exact same as the vehicle involved in your wife's disappearance. I didn't sleep a wink that night. How could I? The paranormal mindfuck I was going through was stronger than any hallucinogenic trip I'd been on in my early twenties. I laid on the couch with my hands folded on my belt buckle, staring at the ceiling's plastered pattern for the next ten hours or so. At dawn, somewhere between six and seven, if I had to guess, bacon sizzled in the kitchen like radio static, and the Keurig started squealing as it pumped out a hot cup of joe. How'd you like your coffee these days? Alex hollered as the spatula flipped the bacon. I blinked twice, then took a deep breath. Black. Take it like a man. Alex threw a towel over his shoulder and brought me my favorite mug. It was white with a picture of Melissa, Marty, and I standing in front of the castle at Disney World. We were wearing mouse ears, of course, per Marty's request. Here you go, bud. I took a sip, then held the mug in my hands, staring at the three of us. Tears threatened, and I drove them back with a great wince. Alex's mouth made an O when the bacon made a whipping crack. Shit. He ran back to the kitchen. Whew. Close call. Almost lost two little piggies. The spatula made a scraping sound, and next thing I knew, Alex was setting a plate on the table. Eggs and toast alongside the bacon. Cup of OJ, bud? I pushed myself to stand. I'm good with just coffee. Thanks, Al. Thanks for doing all this. By the way, you certainly don't have to. I hope you know that. The Keurig squealed again, filling up a mug for Alex as he leaned back on the kitchen counter. He pushed a hand through the air. I know I don't have to. I want to. What are friends for? He pointed to my plate, then made a chomping mime with his hand. Eat. When's the last time you had a solid meal? The Keurig choked on the last drops of coffee. Alex turned, grabbed his mug, 
then floated over the linoleum toward the dining table. I loaded my fork with eggs and forced it in. I know I sound crazy, but how could Marty have just disappeared? My little boy might still be out there. I have to find him. They never found Melissa after the accident. We never had closure. I can't go through that again, Alex. I just can't. I put the fork down and started crying. Alex reached across the table, grabbed my shoulder, and leaned toward me, leering at me through the shelf above his eyes. John? His hand squeezed, and I looked up at him. I know exactly how you feel, I plucked my napkin from underneath the butter knife, dabbing my tears. Grayish-white splotches swelled on it. Which is why I think the best thing we can do right now is to get you the hell out of here. I wiped the napkin under my nose and felt my face scrunch inwards. What? But Marty! If he's out there, I have no doubt you'll see him again. But here's the harsh reality. Alex pressed his forefinger into the table like a poker. When those two cops come back, they ain't gonna be as warm and friendly as they were last night. I believe your story, but they sure as hell don't. My eyes searched Alex's face. Think about it. He started counting with his free hand. Six months ago, you lost your wife. No one was prosecuted because they couldn't find her or the slithery son of a bitch who did it. All they had was a license plate and a black Tahoe. Fast forward to last night. Marty gets hit by the same truck. Not only is it, in their eyes, of course, impossible for it to be the same truck because... You and I know damn well that thing was probably turned into a cube long time ago. But there's absolutely no sign of Marty? None? They'll, they'll pin it on me. My lips didn't move as the words slipped out. Missing children is more than a problem in this country. I felt my lower lip begin to quiver. Oh God. Oh God, Alex. They're going to pin this whole mess on me. Alex nodded slowly, pulling away and leaning back into his chair. Award-winning horror novelist John Smith becomes a widower and single father at the young age of 30 after losing his wife in a hit and run. Over the course of the next six months, Smith hasn't written a single word, and his publisher is expecting a book from him within a year. Writer's block drives Smith insane, and so he kills his own son in hopes of finding son. Alex made air quotes, murderous inspiration. He lowered his hands and perched his elbows on the table. But he doesn't need to worry about writing this story. Someone else will. Because he just bought himself a seat on death row. My heart felt like a padded hammer in my chest. They're going to come back for me, Alex. They'll say I did something to Marty. They'll say I hit his body. They'll say... I'm sure they'll say a hell of a lot. Alex took a sip of his coffee. Athelstane, Wisconsin was written in dark green cursive on the gray mug. After he set the mug down, his fingers drummed the letters on it. Say. A brow spiked north on his forehead. You still have that lodge up here, right? His eyes landed on the words and he drummed his fingers again. I nodded questioningly, dabbing my eyes with my napkin. Before Melissa died, we used to go up there every summer. 
It fit perfectly for my publisher's schedule. I'd knock out the first draft over those 12 weeks, just in time before school started back up for her, and then I'd do the rewrites and edits in the fall and hand over the manuscript right before the... Halloween. Alex nodded as if he read my mind. Let's get you up there sooner than the day before yesterday. Was your publisher expecting a manuscript from you before last night? I nodded, then shook my head. Yes, but they'll understand, given the circumstances. Of course, Alex said, pushing himself away from the table, grabbing my plate. There's no way they can expect a book from you. Not this year. What did you just say? Alex headed toward the kitchen sink. Let's make tracks before the cops get back here. No. I felt my skin break out into goose flesh. No? You said not this year. I wiped my hands on my pant legs. Were you the one who typed that into my story? I thought better of it, cutting myself short. That would be absolutely ridiculous. Fuck sharks in swimming pools. That's like thinking Mark Zuckerberg is a lizard person. Were I what? Alex's eyes narrowed. Nothing. You're right. There's no way they could possibly expect something this year. Grisham's been known to take a year off here and there. Why can't I? I shook the thought away. I wasn't thinking straight. The past 16 hours had poked holes through coherent thought. Pushing a fucking manuscript was the least of my worries. That's beside the point. I can't just run away. They'll come after me, Al. He set the plates in the sink and came back to me, placing a hand on either shoulder. How long have we been friends? Since the second grade. And have I ever steered you wrong? Never. He clapped my shoulders and wore a ghost of a smile. Get the bare essentials and head north. He pointed up the stairs. I'll be up later tonight after handling Sheriff Jasper. I swung a look over my shoulder when I was halfway down the hall, feeling my eyebrows knit themselves together. What are you going to do? Alex, leaning on the kitchen sink, digging the towel between the crooks of his fingers with a devilish smile, turned toward me. Steer him in the wrong direction is all. The drive north to Athelstane wasn't long. 45 minutes, tops. But it gave me more than enough time to wallow in my own self-pity. Each landmark I passed brought with it another memory. First was Maplewood Meats, not five minutes after getting on Highway 29. Marty used to love tagging along for the free beefstick samples whenever we had to make a bacon run. Growing boys can have as many as they like. The man working the counter always winked at Marty when he said it. He was a jolly old man and had a beard as white as the day is long. Marty had his suspicions that maybe, just maybe, the man was Santa Claus himself. About 15 miles later, I passed through the small shop town of Eagle River. Melissa would always make us take a pit stop so she could go antiquing. Marty and I never put up a stink about it. Instead, we'd bolt for Fred's soft serve and load ourselves up on ice cream. Of course, Marty got chocolate swirl with Reese's Pieces. I got mint chocolate chip more often than not. We both got brain freezes. 
Then, not long after getting into Athelstane, was the Nimrod Inn, which was now nothing but dirt with a handful of gravel. The red neon sign hanged on for dear life, as had been the case the past twenty years. The three of us used to get dinner there the night we got in. One time, I tricked Marty into eating a chicken gizzard. I told him it was kind of like a beefsteak. Next thing we knew, he had an entire salad bowl of them, throwing them back like they were going out of style. Melissa wasn't impressed. The lodge wasn't two minutes from the Nimrod, and it sat at the bottom of a hill, drowning in pine trees in the golden light of late morning. The lodge itself, made of cedar, had a dark green roof and a bright red door. Two blue rhino propane tanks next to the grill on the porch stood out like a sore thumb, but other than that, the lodge gleamed in the sun like something that was freshly baked and had just been set out. If the Nimrod was the longest standing building in Athelstan, the lodge was a close second, the perfect place to write a novel. I parked a sneeze away from the outhouse so I could start the generator directly behind it. Melissa's orders, she complained its whining made it difficult to sleep at night. When I climbed out of my truck, I was overcome by the smell of death, rotting death at that. Skunk must have kicked the can. If you fancy yourself an outdoors person, you know the smell. I cupped a hand over my face and yanked the pull start on the generator. It turned over once or twice, then sputtered out. Not unusual by any means, so I gave it another good yank. It coughed mockingly at me, then made a sound. Well, third time's the charm. Using both hands that time, I corkscrewed my torso, twisting with all my might like a hammer thrower. Nothing. Bizarre. The generator was nowhere near brand new, but they typically lasted 3,000 hours or 30 years, whichever came first, and now it was totally kaput. Still holding on to the pull start's handle, I scanned from left to right, then right to left, and I let go of the handle and it zipped back inside the generator. The lodge's red door was cracked open. I swallowed hard, standing on the doorstep as I worked up the courage to investigate. How could it be open? The only way it'd be open is if someone left it open. The only way it'd be left open is if someone had a key. We haven't been up here since last year, but... Oh, last winter we loaned the keys to... The hairs on my arms pricked up and my skin turned chicken-like. The elderly floorboards moaned under my weight. With tented fingertips, I pushed the door open slowly. The carry-on stench hit me again, making my eyes water. It was like a cadaver breathed on me. Uh, hello? I asked stupidly. Of course there was no response, but the smell was overpowering. I couldn't take another step without pulling my shirt up over my nose and mouth. The lodge was how it always was. A place for everything and everything in its place. The paint-chipped dining table sat barely out of the door's reach. The windows to the right of it let light beam through, catching cabin dust as it made whitish-yellow squares on the carpet. 
A Cadco hot plate in the kitchenette had what looked like dried bits of egg on it, and a mini-fridge bookended the counter. To the left of the kitchenette was a hallway with three bedrooms, bunk beds in each. The smell wasn't as strong when I turned my nose in that direction, but when I looked toward the living room on the other side of the kitchenette, it was almost unbearable, even with my shirt over my face. The floor squeaked with each step I took. Looking back, it was almost like the lodge was trying to warn me of what lay ahead. There was a large argyle sofa with a matching love seat flanking the slate-gray fireplace. A gargantuan chair directly in front of it, where I used to write till the hours in the morning God should never have made. I vacuum-sealed my shirt against my face as my eyes welled. Before making it past the sofa, light from the windows on either side of the living room struck our family photo on the fireplace mantel, winking like bright little arrows. I took another step or two to get a closer look. There was something wrong with the picture. Melissa and Marty's faces appeared to have been surgically cut out with a box cutter or something. My face, however, remained unscathed. What the... A belch that seemed to go on and on came from the chair just an arm's length away. My feet wiggled, sliding closer to the chair, and as my eyes crept over the back of it, I saw a patch of dry, carrot-colored hair. I shuffled slowly around the right armrest, and my breakfast came right up. It was Alex. He looked at least six months dead with a maggot-filled grin, his sunken eyes staring directly into my own. He belched again, gas still escaping him long after death. I noticed a, a tacky red hole on the side of his head with skull fragments on his opposite shoulder like bits of broken crockery. What must have been brains at one point now looked like gray raisins plastered against the side of the chair. His left hand rested on the armrest, and his right laid on top of his bare thighs. He was holding a gun. Before I could form what most would consider a coherent thought, I heard what sounded like an old and terrible engine of destruction, starting softly and then roaring to a monstrous growl in a matter of seconds. I swung a look out the window. There was an old black Tahoe barreling down the hill. The license plate, ANS 738. Without thinking, I peeled the gun out of Alex's pallid and wax-like hands. His fingers creaked like rusty springs as they resisted, then snapped off the grip like thick bands of rubber. It was a six-round revolver. When I popped the cylinder out, only one bullet remained. The Tahoe left brown runners on the green grass behind it as it slid to a stop. The headlights dimmed, and the driver climbed down from behind the wheel. It was Alex. The backs of my eyes stung, protesting what they were seeing. I looked back at the chair. It was Alex, all right, but so was the man who had gotten out of the truck. So was the man who had been with me since the night before. I hadn't noticed it until that point, but he was white as a... Hey, buddy. 
He ran a hand through his red, texturized crop of hair, shooting a look at my truck, then back at the lodge. I leapt between the shadows, rounding the backside of the kitchenette towards the hallway. He slipped his hands into his pockets, thumbs hanging out, and strode nonchalantly toward the front door, playfully kicking blades of grass. By now, you probably know I'm dead. Quite dead indeed. I slunk down the hallway. The smell of death wasn't strong at first, but now it felt like my nose hairs were on fire. Alex continued from outside, his voice growing steadily louder. You know, you've always been better than me. At everything. You were always the star. From second grade spelling bees to high school sports, being a family man, and now a famous author. You've always been the star of the show. The bedrooms were doorless. When I peered in the first, I had to stifle myself from throwing up again, swallowing my own vomit. The lone bunk bed was occupied. Marie on the bottom, and Gabe on the top. I thank God to this day the army green covers were pulled up just under their chins. I could only imagine the ruins they were in from the neck down. Their faces were swollen and alien-like, each with an entry wound between the eyes. The revolver jittered in my hands. I couldn't stand being in the shadow of the great John Smith any longer, so I brought my family up here, a place where you seem to easily conjure up fame and fortune in the hopes of finding some murderous inspiration. You probably see right through me, don't you, bud? He wanted to be... I wanted to be in your next novel. Being your best bud since second grade, I thought it was the least you could do. So one night, I went for a drive to brainstorm on how I could do just that. Told my family I'd be back in the morning, which I was, with Melissa's body in the back seat. Marie was horrified, calling me crazy and such. She was dealt with. Gabe started crying. I told him I'd give him something to cry about, and I did. I duck-walked out of the bedroom and into the hallway. When I did, the front door creaked open and a cone of light shone at the end of the hall. The floating cabin dust materialized into Melissa. She was standing in the light. Marty formed out of the floating granules and hugged her leg. My free hand reached down the hallway towards them. My lips pressed together in preparation for a but then thought better of it letting my tears do the talking. Melissa lifted her chin and looked beyond me. I turned down the hallway to the other bedroom, then back at her. Her lips moved again, mouthing the same thing they did the night before. Burden down. Set us free. Alex opened the door all the way, blasting Melissa and Marty into a dusty swirl. I walked softly to the bedroom at the end of the hall, hoping to God the back door was still there. We had one put in, which made trips to the outhouse with Marty easier in the middle of the night. The bunk beds in that room were only half full. Melissa laid still on the bottom. The red flannel-patterned covers pulled up to her breasts. There were two frayed black holes on her chest. It was the first time I saw my wife since she went missing six months prior. She looked fragile and wilted, like a bag of bones. 
You knew I had a thing for Melissa since second grade school dance when I asked her to be my date, then you went off and married her years later. You remember what she said to me? Tears cut trails down my cheeks as I stared at my dead wife. Black stringy hair plastered to the pillow, her face covered in what looked like grill marks. Bitch said the same thing to me after I ran her ass over. She said, not this year. Can you believe that? So after laying her down in the bed, I put two in her. One for denying me back then and another for mocking me that night. As Alex's voice grew louder, the bedroom seemed to grow smaller. First the size of a telephone booth, then the size of a coffin. A coffin fitted just for me. Figured if I off myself the way I did sitting in your chair and all, then you'd be practically forced to write your story with me in it. My story. But I didn't know I'd be, uh, well, the way I am now. No wonder you were able to write as many horror stories as you did up here. This place is crawling with ethereal characters. Now, I'm one of them. The revolver grew warm in my hands as I shuffled to the back door, placing my free hand on the knob, training the gun at the bedroom doorway. When I did, I caught a glimpse of the two blue Rhino propane tanks on the porch next to the grill through the bedroom window. I'd say Alex darkened the bedroom doorway, but the light shone right through him. Little birdie told me your story could use a ghost, bud. He floated toward me. Could you do your best friend the honor? Not this year. I opened the door and leapt outside, sprinted the short trip to the outhouse. I bent myself around from behind it, fixed the iron sights on the propane tanks, and pulled the trigger. A ghoulish howl came from the lodge as its dry cedar body was swallowed by hellfire within seconds. Now you'll never find peace. Not this year, not ever. As the flames climbed over 10 feet tall, fiery apparitions stood in them. It was Melissa and Marty. Their bodies danced in reds, oranges, and yellows. Melissa mouthed, I love you, rubbing the back of Marty's head. A black cloud of smoke engulfed them. Then they were gone. That time, gone felt different. I set them free. Marty nor his body were ever found. Every day this past year was like Groundhog Day. My alarm clock yodeling at 5 a.m., yanking me from some dream I could never remember as soon as my eyes opened. I sauntered down the steps to the kitchen, brought the lid down on the Keurig, and pressed brew. Three eggs, two strips of bacon, and one bowl of oatmeal later, I was back upstairs in my office and plunged into my work. 
My publisher was gracious and understanding of my situation. They told me to take all the time I needed, said they'd be in touch before Thanksgiving. The only problem was I hadn't made any progress on my story since Marty and I went trick-or-treating last year, and it was Halloween. I zombied in front of my Chromebook all day. The hours flew by, time seemingly going as fast as the blinking cursor mocking me on the screen. Then the doorbell rang. The time read 5.30 p.m. on my watch. Someone's been waiting all day for this, I thought. I'd made a candy run earlier in the week, placating myself that it'd be good for me to be festive, despite the circumstances. The doorbell rang again. I'm coming, I'm coming! I hollered, hurrying down the stairs, grabbing Marty's jack-o'-lantern bucket that I had filled with candy during a writing break. I took a deep breath and opened the door. Happy hollow... Staring back at me was a little ghost with bright green eyes and red rain boots. My phantom trick-or-treater rocked back and forth from heel to toe, swinging empty hands forward and back. Unconsciously, I offered the candy bucket. Hey, that's my candy bucket. A tiny, transparent hand grabbed one Reese's peanut butter cup. Then the little ghost looked up at me. Can I take two? My eyes felt prickly and my throat locked. Marty? No. The little ghost said ghoulishly. Something much scarier. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast Halloween Special 2021, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Not This Year was written by Hunter Chansky, who is a horror writer and host of the podcast Artistic Warrior with Hunter Chansky. Link is in the description. To connect with Hunter, you can catch him on Instagram at Hunter underscore Chansky. This episode was narrated by Falconetti, who also performed John. The role of Alex was performed by Mike Ricard from the Stories of Strangeness podcast, where Mike and Zoe discuss all things on the topics of paranormal, folklore, cryptids, hauntings, and more. To check it out, head over to storiesofstrangeness.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Melissa was performed by Maggie from the Ladies Fried podcast. Link is in the description or connect with them on Instagram at ladiesfrightpodcast. All other roles were performed by James Barnett. This episode was produced and edited by James Barnett. The Night's End Halloween theme was composed by Duncan Muggleton. For more from Duncan, connect with him on Twitter at Duncan Muggleton. To support Night's End, I would very much appreciate it if you could leave a review and a five-star rating on your podcasting app. We have merch available at nightsendpodcast.com or if you're looking for more content, please check out seasons one and two, which are available now. 
We also have 10 exclusive episodes available through our Patreon page or through our Apple Podcast subscription, Dissonance Extra. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another tale tomorrow. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>